Welcome to the Dr. Me First podcast with me, your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. Erin Wiseman. Hey, it's Dr. Wiseman here. Welcome to the community of true speakers, lifesavers, and fierce females who are here to support and lift each other up. Yep. That's our motto here at Dr. Me First, to know that you are not alone in medicine and to bring you encouragement, inspiration, joy, hope, and fun to your life and your practice. In today's episode, I am actually talking with one of my real life friends. This is Dr. Michelle Owens. She is a fellow osteopathic physician who we went to medical school with. And I had posted in our KCUMB class of 2011 Facebook group that I was starting this crazy podcast and she's been listening and now she's a guest. So I'm so excited to share our conversation. She is just a beautiful soul. I'm so excited with the work that she's doing and the bravery that she has because she's actually coming and talking to us when she is transitioning between jobs. So her word today or word phrase is quality of life. She's a palliative care physician, so QOL is a very important thing to her, but she's specifically talking about the quality of our lives as physicians. So check out our conversation and then stick around afterwards for a kick of encouragement. All right, here we go. I have a really, really, I say this every single time, but I really do have a special guest today. This is Dr. Michelle Owens. Not only is she an amazing female colleague, but she also is a med school friend of mine. We graduated together. We have stayed in touch a little bit off and on. It's just been so good reuniting. We are actually, I made her not talk about anything that she's doing so we could catch it live here on the recording. All right, Michelle. So tell everybody what you're doing and how amazing you are. (laughs) Well, hey, Erin, it's so good to talk with you. Um, So I live down in Austin, Texas. I am currently a hospice and palliative medicine physician, but at this time today, I'm actually in between um, positions and really just enjoying doing whatever I want every day and spending time with my family, which has been amazing. I um, left an academic position where I had started an inpatient and outpatient um, palliative medicine consultation service, and I'm actually going to be transitioning to a nonprofit hospice working in an inpatient hospice unit. So I'm really excited to be able to kind of have a new, fresh experience and be able to practice on both ends of my spectrum. Absolutely. And I'm so proud of you for being brave and being like, hey, I'm between jobs right now. I'm totally in that limbo of transition because it's scary shit. It really can be. It's nice, but also very anxiety provoking at times. What has been like one of the key factors that's helped you transition? Well, you know, I think this, my most recent position I was at for two and a half years and um, I have an 11 month old now. So I think, you know, listening to some of your other podcasts and just other doc moms in general, you know, having a child really gives you fresh perspective. And um, I started to to realize that, you know, I talk obviously to my patients a lot about quality of life. And I was kind of telling them how, you know, it's so important to live each day, like it could be your last and what's important to you and really focus on that and realize that I wasn't doing that myself. Um, I found that my work was taking a lot of my energy 
from me to where I really didn't have much of it for my daughter or my husband when I came home. Um, the other big thing was that my commute was an hour round trip a day. And so this new position that I'm taking, I calculated I will save myself 16 hours a month, which is a lot of time. So I'm really excited about kind of being able to focus that time back to where it really matters. Absolutely. That's so great. And that's so awesome how you tied in your words for today. So yeah, quality of life is what you picked to talk on. And God, it is so important. You know, we speak the words, but how often are we living the words? Definitely. Yeah. I think we can, we can talk a good talk, but we don't always walk the good walk. Why do you think that is? You know, I don't know. I, I think maybe some of it is that, you know, we're all kind of, young in our careers and it's this new it's kind of just like a new experience right like our moms it was different for them whether they were in medicine or anything else i just think that the way that we look at life and the way of what our expectations are of ourselves are sometimes different and sometimes we just don't know you know i think it's really just you know trying something and then really reflecting back on whether or not that was a good decision um you know Granted, I've only been home a week, right? So I've had seven days work-free, which has been great. But I even noticed just in those seven days that I've kind of gone back to who I was before I started work, right? Because this this last job was my first job at a fellowship. And I think fellowship is a little bit different in terms of how intense it is versus your first real like big girl job. And I really just realized more I didn't I didn't realize how much I had lost of myself because I was just really so focused on work and getting caught up in stresses that you really don't have control over. Um and I think it's just really a it's just a new challenging experience. And nobody tells us what to do or how to do it. And even if they do, we don't necessarily listen to them. So, you know, it's always hard. Yeah, I think that's so poignant how you said that. You don't know what you don't know getting into it. And I think we all go into it with like the best expectations, like this is going to be amazing. It's going to be wonderful. And then when it's not, most of us have no idea how do we make those transitions or like, should we transition? Right. And I think too, you know, I think I was really naive because going into this position, I thought, you know, I could see myself here for my whole career, right? Like this could, I could just be that one lucky person that came out of training and found that dream job that I was in until I retired. And I remember one of my mentors telling me during residency that on average physician, it takes seven jobs for you to find like your, your, your perfect fit. Right. And I thought seven, no, like maybe for her it is, but for sure for me, it's not going to be seven. <laughs> and here I am going on number two and I'm sure it won't be the last, but I think that that's perfectly okay. Right. It's all about the experience and your life changes and your needs change. So you have to really, you know, do what's best for you. Yeah. I think that's one part of the equation for me personally is like, no, I'm going to fit in this shaped space and I'm going to make it fit and I'm going to jam it in there until it does. And just learning like, no, like you, our own human body changes shapes over all the many years of our life. Our career shape is going to change too. So why not be more accepting of that? Why are we so rigid in that? I think is really, really beautiful. Yeah. And I think it's great too, that you have this podcast because, you know, when I first found it, you know, of course I was excited to see it, it was, a, you know, one of my med school friends that I knew, but it was also just such a wonderful thing to talk about because I think it, the best time to learn is early, right? Like it's so much better for us to figure out that it's okay to change jobs. It's okay to not, you know, be exactly what you thought you were going to do when you go out and to kind of just shift to what makes sense for you and your family and whatever your needs are. And it's okay to do that soon. Right. Cause I think, 
for so, I think our generation is a nice one to where we have thought about a lot of things earlier than maybe our parents' generation did. And we're more open to it. We're a little bit more malleable, although we're still rigid in some respects too. I think that this, just talking about it makes it feel accepted and makes it feel like it's okay, right? Like I'm, I'm not doing something bad. I'm doing actually something really good for me. Yeah. Hence the name why I called it Dr. Me First. Right. Because I felt like when I first jumped into this journey of being like, I don't know if I want to be a doctor anymore. I felt like I didn't have any resources. And it was very like, either you're in it and you're grinding or you're not. And you figure out how to get a beach home in Hawaii. And there wasn't <laughs> any, anything in between. And I've just this has sprung from, you know, my coaching other women because I wanted to have a broader platform that maybe if people are okay and they're transitioning okay, at least they have this podcast to validate like, hey, you're not alone. And like you saying people can transition up to seven times before they find their job is like the statistic. God, that's like validating. Right. No, I mean, I, I really think it is. I think it's so gratifying. You see so many things out there now about, about burnout. We was on it was never talked about, you know, every conference I go to for hospice and palliative medicine, there's, you know, different talks even just on making sure that you take care of yourself and take all your vacation and take all your CME. But the thing that's hard is that although it's talked about a lot in my field, trying to relate to other physicians or other administrators or, or physicians that are older than me, that's not looked at as taking care of yourself. That's looking, that's looked at as not being a team player, right. Or trying to, to work the least amount you can, but really for us being so early on in our careers, you have to have that balance because otherwise it's not sustainable. Um, you know, and, and again, like you said, I mean, you have those thoughts of like, can I really do this for 30 more years or however longer you're going to work? And with the amount of debt that most of us have coming out of training as well, it's kind of scary to think about, well, if I can't do it, you know, but there's all these talks about like physician side gigs and people doing all these other things, you know, like you said, get rich quick and have this beautiful home in Hawaii, which we'd all love to do, but it's not really in the cards for all of us. And it's not, it's not, it's not realistic either to say that that's even going to work. Because I feel like sometimes part of the side gig thing is just the exploration outside of medicine and just having like a relief valve and not all of them are going to be seven figure businesses. You know, that's the one thing when you touched on about CMEs and them talking about wellness, that's been a frustrating point for me is like everybody's saying the words now, nobody's modeling it yet. No administration are coming on board and saying, we really care about our physicians. So we are going to institute, you know, these protective measures that we know are contributing to physician burnout. And so I'm hoping that um, through my community and the talks that I'm giving and just reaching out to other female physicians that maybe it's us who we force the modeling that we say, this is the boundary and no more because we know we have the support of everybody behind us being like, yeah, this is what is appropriate. Cause I felt the same way. Like, so family medicine residency where I was at, um, it, it wasn't like the worst of the worst, but there was a lot of lip service given to like staying well. And if you need to, um, fill out paperwork for post-call, you know, that that was available, but I don't feel like the underneath current and culture reflected that because it was still like if you did post-call paperwork it's like well Wiseman's leaving because she was at the hospital all night and you know and it, it should just be like no go take care of yourself right right and I think the thing too is that you know when we get out of residency even everybody's on these productivity plans right even me a palliative medicine physician right like I see eight patients a day because I'm having 
hour long conversations about end of life sometimes, right? And they still were like, you know, you're on a production plan. So even if you take the CME days, even if you take the vacation days for wellness, you're penalized because if you don't make those RVUs, you either have to figure out to make your life crazy that week before or crazy the week you come back. And like you said, right? I mean, it's like talking about it, like, oh, you should do it, you should do it. But then if you do it, you get penalized or you're so exhausted by the time you come back because you're trying to make up that volume that you almost wonder, like, should I have taken it? I remember yeah. I was gone for um, CME, you know, and I'm, I was the only physician, right? I was, I was, I was brought on to start a program. So I was the only physician. So when I was gone, like the program was on call on pause. Right. And I remember I had a hospital, you know, hospitalist ended up saying like, like, how could she leave? Right. And I'm thinking I can't stay every day. Right. Like if you, if the palliative medicine physician gets jaded and burnt out, like we're all in trouble. Right. <laughs> you know, yes. but, you yes. know, there's gotta be a change. Well, and, and I know there's several studies coming out that saying that RVU based compensation models are a big contributor to burnout. But whenever I talk to organizations about like, well, how are you going to adjust this? They feel like it's a fair model and they have no interest in it. And, and then I bring up the um, gender disparities when you break down RVUs between female physicians and male physicians um, because female physicians on average take longer time with patients and therefore have less RVUs, even if they're working the same amount of hours as their male colleagues. And then also female physicians typically don't work as many hours as their male colleagues because of their home duties. And so then they're penalized in that too. So it's not really a fair compensation model when you break it down by the numbers. And it's, it's, it is almost self-sacrificing. Because it's like, right. do I give and try to get healthy and then come back to 20 inpatient or inbox messages or 200 inbox messages and 20 patients in the morning to try to see? Or do I just keep grinding through and trying to get a podcast here and there? Right. No, it's so true. I mean, and, and that's, I think, something that we really struggle with coming out. You know, we've we've sacrificed so much of our time in school and in training. And then you come out and it's like, I really want to do the best that I can in the field that I'm in. But then you have these thoughts of like, well, how am I going to do this for 20 more years? Right. You know, I mean, even for me, after I had my daughter, I went back to work four days a week. Right. Which I think a lot of our generation is trying to go more to not a five day work week, just because it's more sustainable if you have some of that time off. And I had to really argue it with my administration and I told them, I said, I will be more productive here four days a week than I will be five because I will, I will, it'll be more sustainable. I'll have that time. And I took a Wednesday off, which was great because you like worked two days and then you knew you'd always have a break, which was wonderful. But the thing that was hard is that I came back and my RVUs were so much more than they were when I was five days a week, the time, like the year prior that, you know, it was that time was then being taken away from my newborn at home. Right. And I thought to myself, you know, money is great, but again, in the field that I'm in, right? Like talking about death every day, I realize that time is not guaranteed, right? Like we are not promised tomorrow and, you know, money versus time, you can never get that time back. Right. And, you know, even my position that I've taken, you know, honestly, it's, I'm not being compensated as much as I was at the one before, but I'm getting compensated more in terms of my time and my quality, um, that you can't put a price tag on. 
Yeah, and that's, I think, one thing that um, administrators and physician leaders have got to start looking at is that not only are our medical skills a resource, but our time is too. And for too long, we've been multitasking in that time and then not being as effective on any of the tasks that we're trying to do. You know, talking about the um, hospital is saying, you know, how can she leave? I worked in a really small rural hospital here in Indiana. And so our specialists are like, we have like one and two of them at most. And so some of our coverages when I was in the ER, like it would be like, well, we, we don't have any docs on for urology or ENT's not technically on call, but I have her cell phone number, so I could call her. And, you know, I would get the same thing from the nurses, like, well, how can they take any time off? And I was like, how can they not take time off? Like if they are going weeks, months, years on end and are a slave to the call schedule, I don't know that I want that person operating on my patients, my family, or myself, if that's the case. Like, they need a weekend off. God forbid, like, we have to, like, ship somebody out. Yeah, it's an inconvenience for me as the ER provider, but I think, like you said, uh, and that we've just got to start looking at our colleagues, too, and say, good for you. No, for sure. I mean, you have to be able, you know, that's the hard thing, right? Be ported at, you know, at your workplace for it, or you get labeled as, you know, not wanting to be a team player. But, you know, the thing is, I think in medicine, it's such a double standard, right? Like you said, in residency, if you called out in residency, you were totally looked at as like the slacker resident and you were letting everybody else down. And to where, like, I remember at my residency, like I would go in sick. I would go in with a fever to be sent home because you'd rather be sent home than call out because then it legitimized the fact that yes, you were really sick and they sent you home. And I think that that carries on into post-residency life, that there's just this double standard with physicians that we're infallible, we're perfect, we should always be there, we should always be available. And even our, you know, it gets feed into our colleagues expect that, our administrators expect that. And again, it's not a sustainable model. You know, I mean, our healthcare model in general is not, the best, right? And that's kind of an understatement. But we have to do better for each other in order to sustain any of it. Yeah, that's, you're speaking my language. So like I did an NST with me as a first year resident and I was like, yeah, so I think I'm in labor, you know, and then like one of my, God love him, <laughs> Dr. Brandon Page, this is a shout out to you right now, but he was like, Aaron, you get your ass to the hospital. Like stop seeing patients in clinic stop timing out your contractions. You need to go now. And I'm so glad that he advocated for me because, and of course I didn't listen. Like I finished my clinic day because you know, that's just what we do, <laughs> but you right. know, to, we need to do that more. We need to be like, you're sick. You're flu a positive. You have strep throat, go home, go home. or right. your baby is <laughs> flu a positive. Go take care of your baby or you're 38 weeks right. pregnant. Like it's okay if you just do a half day. Right, right. Well, I think that's the hardest thing too, like for us as moms with kids is because now there's a whole nother little person that you're responsible for, right? And then you may not be sick, but if they're sick, it's a whole new ball game, right? You know, and like getting them into daycare and everything else. It's like, you have to have, you know, leaders and administrators who understand that and respect that, right? You know, that you are going to maintain and retain a good employee if you are understanding of what's going on with her, right? And what's going on, because, you know, it's, it's like, I mean, I remember at one point, you know, you have meetings about budget meetings and 
you know, if, if you were a man, the thought of being pregnant or having a child would never come up, but in, but you still have these instances in this society to where as a woman that can be asked of you, right? It's not supposed to be asked, but it definitely can be as if, you know, hiring a woman, you have this, you know, if she's childbearing age, you have this issue of, well, she might be out for three months. So if we hire a man, it might be a little bit easier. We won't have that gap, which is, I think, such a hard thing too, that we have to deal with as women, right? And it's such a wonderful thing that we can reproduce and that we have the the ability to have children, but it's held against us sometimes, which is frustrating. Absolutely. So you're still relatively new becoming mom. How do you think it's changed you, motherhood? Oh, goodness. I think, amazingly, I've become more patient. I am not a very patient person, and that is um, one of the flaws that I am aware of in myself, but I really have become more patient with her. Um, And I think, again, like I said, I mean, it just really has changed for me, like what makes life worth living, right? You know, it's changed for me, um, you know, just what things I want to do and who and what I want to spend them on. You know, I mean, before, you know, there would be times that, you know, my husband's an urgent care physician. So he works three 12 hour shifts a week, which is a great schedule. But so he wouldn't get home until 830 at night. So even when I was pregnant, sometimes I would stay at the office until eight o'clock at night because I thought, well, there's no reason to get home. He's not going to be home yet. My poor cat's at home, but he'll be fine. Right. But now that I have her, you know, you get caught up with an extra consult or extra inbox messages or something. And, you know, you might only get home and have two hours with them while they're awake and you're leaving in the morning before they get up. And so I think that it's really made me um, be more vigilant about my time management and kind of trying to be efficient and, you know, again, just trying to have a better balance, you know, and having boundaries, which I think is really hard um, for all of us, but they're so important. Yeah. I think that's one thing that I totally underestimated and that I didn't really have any mentorship on, on the difference of being a female physician versus a female physician mother. Because it really, it really does change. You know, your time is not your own. Although I feel like sometimes going to work can be a break, right? Like you, you have your body back for a moment. You can go to the bathroom when you want to, you can eat when you want to, um, but ultimately, yeah, I mean, it just changes everything. You know, you, I, you can't wait. I can't wait to get home. You know, I, I look so look forward to my days off. And, you know, that's been the wonderful thing with just this week that I've had off now. Like we've gone to the park. We've done so many family things that have been just so wonderful and lovely and missed. Um, but it's just hard to try to find that perfect job that's going to give you all of the balance that you want. You know, I don't think that it's really out there. I think it's, it's that fear too of what if I jump and it's, it's not better or it's worse. Right. Right. And that's even my husband said to me, cause I, I'd said to him the other night, I said, you know, I said, you know, I'm back. Like, I feel like I'm myself again. Like I'm happy at home. I'm joking. Like I just feel so carefree. And he's like, and he told me, he said, well, he was like, but that could just be because you're not working. And I said, well, you know, yeah, of course. And he was like, well, what if the next job? And I said, well, you know, there's always that, like you said, there's always that fear. I think you have to make the best decision with what you have at the time. And, you know, my hope is that if nothing else, the commute alone, I think giving me back that time is going to make it a lot better. Um, and then just, you know, the fact that it's not a, a huge system, I think being in a smaller, a smaller nonprofit should be better. But, you know, I think that's where you have to give yourself the permission that if it's not okay, right, that you do the time that you need to do there and you take care of the people that you need to take care of but ultimately you try to find a better balance, you know? And that's where I think if you have good leaders and good administrators that you can talk to in that position, um, if they're smart, they'll do what they need to do to try to retain you and to try to work with you to find a good balance. 
That's so true. As I'm working with other female physicians um, and coaching them into the transitions they want to make during the transitions and then through the transitions, one thing that I hear myself repetitively saying, and I'm just going to say it again, is like, it's a journey. Like, this is not going to be the destination that ends all be all. It's like, it's the journey. And you just keeping with the journey, you just take another step and you just pivot and you just move and you just keep going with it no matter what it rolls. But if you, if you stop, if you get stagnant, if you get stuck in fear, that's when you feel that like suffocating, crushing feeling coming back. And I'm almost wondering since like you're in the middle of your transition right now, what I've seen a lot with women that I coach is like the burden and the dread and everything that they were carrying for the last job, they start to feel that like unfolding and shaking off. And so that's great. And I don't think it is just the not going to work anymore. I really think it's about like shedding what was there and being open up to new opportunities and maybe being a little wiser the next time around because you've had that experience. Right. No, I think for sure. I think I've definitely learned a lot. I'm very grateful for this past experience because I think I've learned a lot as a physician and as a person um, and also as a mom. Right. And I think, I think one of the things that's really hard and, and I wish I remembered the name of the physician who posted this, but in the PMG group on Facebook, it was very, um, just perfect timing. There was a physician there who actually ended up being a hospice and palliative physician who wrote um, this post about how she had just been talking to a friend who was changing jobs and kind of what her encouragement was to her. Um, and it was so helpful because I think one of the big things too that you don't realize or you don't think about when you're making this decision to change is how guilty and difficult it is to leave behind your colleagues, to leave behind your patients. Um, because that, I mean, there were so many times, I mean, we have to give, most of us have to give like 90 days notice, right? So here I gave my, my notice in January every day you go through this trauma of having to tell people that you're leaving and dealing with that, with their expression, you know, and I have patients, right, that have stage four cancer or, or other terminal illnesses. And I felt so bad leaving them, right, especially not having a replacement right then and there to say, hey, well, you're not going to see me, but you're going to see this person. But ultimately, you know, the thing that was so refreshing and um, really shocking to me is that, you know, here I have these patients that are, you know, have months to years left to live, and they were supportive of me. They were your next job needs you. Right. And I thought to me, like, my goodness, to have like a patient dealing with what they're dealing with to be consoling me, right. You're telling me that it's a good thing. I thought, you know, what a wonderful thing. Right. But it, it is hard. And, and I think that that's an important thing for, for women to be aware of. Right. You know, I think because we make relationships and forge bonds, I think a little bit easier than some men do. Um, and so when you're leaving a job after a couple of years, it really is a, a change, you know, that's one thing that as I'm working with people too, my question to them is, what do you need to do to transition away? You know, and some of them, it's like, well, I need to tell particular patients goodbye, or um, I need to take down the stuff in my office, or, you know, a lot of different things. And I think that's important to honor those relationships and realizing that they're coming to an end, but then um, just embracing the specialness of it. And it is, it's hard to be in the middle of the suck with it all. Right. <laughs> it totally is the suck. 
But I think that's where it's really important too to have the support, friends, family, coach, you know, somebody that then you can unload the suck in 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 a healthy way too. Right. Well, awesome. Well, Michelle, it's been so great catching up with you. Uh, you are just such an inspiration to me from when we were back at um, KCUMB class of 2011 whoop, whoop, to now, uh, you know, real big girl doctors doing amazing things. I'm just so excited to have you as friend and colleague. And I was so excited when you told me you had been listening to the podcast. I was like, oh my God, my real life friends listen to this too. <laughs> hey, I've shared it with all of, all of my, my lady doc friends. I mean, I think it's great. I'm so just inspired by you and keep doing your good work. It's wonderful. It's great to listen to. Well, thank you so much. And if anybody wants to um, get in touch with Michelle, she's available on Facebook or you can just email me and I will make sure to hook you guys up. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, Erin. You ready for that kick of encouragement? I don't even know if you really seriously need one after that conversation. I'm just so energized when I find someone who parallels my thoughts as much as she does. Um, having made a couple transitions in my career, I was just so glad to get that out and to hear Dr. Owen's point of view about how going through transitions really feels like breaking up 20 times a day when you're telling patients and when you're talking to your nursing staff or you're talking to your physician colleagues that you're leaving. It does suck. And it's so hard to embrace the suck in the middle of it all. You just want to rush it through, get it done, and be over with it. But I really encourage each and every one of you, as you're making transitions, because it's going to happen in your career and in your life, stay in the moment. Embrace the moment. So my tips that I wanted to give you in this kick of encouragement to help you with these transitions is first, one, remember the things that people say are not about you. It is about them and their perceptions and how they are feeling in the moment. So as you're delivering the news that you're leaving your medical practice, just remember anything that comes out of their mouth is about them and how they're reacting. This was a really hard lesson for me because as I was first leaving my first medical practice, it just hurt so much. Every single person was like, where are you going next? Can I follow you? What do you mean you're leaving? How am I going to find another doctor? And I just had to keep reminding myself that was about them. That was their fears coming out. That was their anxieties coming out. I just needed to hold the space for them, give them honest answers, and just keep moving forward in my own journey. Like Dr. Owens, I didn't have a replacement either. So it was really hard to tell patients, I don't know. But it was also really comforting to say, I don't know, but I will do the best that I can for you for the time that I still have here. So that's one very important tip. Another super important tip too is to have that team. Like I mentioned, friends, family, coach, somebody that after you take the white coat off, you leave the hospital or office that you can go decompress in this time. Because transitions are like walking over a bridge. You first have to make the decision that you're going to leave one side, transverse across the bridge to another side. And it's a lot of steps. And you know, when you first get on the bridge, it's kind of scary because you don't know how long it's going to take. 
And then when you get to the middle of the bridge, you're like, oh my God, I'm in the middle of the bridge. Do I turn around and go back or do I just keep pursuing forward because it's starting to get swaying and that sort of thing. But then after some point you reach the halfway point, you see that the other side is closer and it gets easier and you keep moving forward and then you get your feet on solid ground on the other side. So whenever I talk about going through transitions as bridges, I want you to visualize where are you at in your transition of this bridge in your life. And also, you know, transitions can be different, just like different types of bridges. Some bridges are very strong and steel and they don't sway with the wind. And then you've got some bridges like we have here in Indiana that are like one lane wooden bridges, probably a couple hundred years old, not sure that they're going to hold the weight. So that helps too to kind of know how secure your transition is. And that's okay if you're going across a wooden bridge versus a steel bridge, but just acknowledge where you're at in that moment, where you're at on your transition, and how you're going to keep moving forward. And that comes with having a really secure team around you. And the third thing I want to ask and say, and my tip is always super important to identify what you need where you're at. So what I asked this question, I brought it up with Dr. Owens in the conversation is, what do you need to do in this transition? You know, a lot of things that we do is how we perceive we want to help somebody else. But I really think you need to take some time and recognize what do I need in this transition right now? Do I need to write a handwritten note to every single person that I've ever talked to or interacted with during my time here. That's up to you to decide. For me, it was not. For me, it was like I just needed to have a printed out piece of paper with my own words as far as my goodbye to each patient that I did pass out um, as I was transitioning. You know, maybe there's other things that you need during this transition time that you hadn't thought about as far as in a professional setting. Maybe you do need to take a few extra half days to use them up. Maybe you do need to tell your office, hey, I don't want a going away party. And so it's really important to stay focused on what you need in this transition. So I hope that my tips and kick of encouragement have helped. I have loved this conversation with Dr. Owens. I can't wait for more of my other real life friends to come on the podcast. Hint, hint. So just get a contact with me or go on the website under the show notes and um, you can click the button to want to be on the podcast schedule here. So as always, as I wrap up these podcasts, please remember, first of all, I'm here for you. And secondly, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. Bye. Bye.